This is episode 117 of Diferente. It's Hispanic Heritage Month. Feliz mes de la hispanidad. In honor of this 30-day celebration of culture in the United States, we have prepared two very special episodes that focus on topics related to the U.S. Hispanic community. This is numero dos. My guest, Mike Alfaro, rejuvenated an old-school board game that is transcending generational and cultural divides. This traditional game in the Hispanic culture is called Loteria. It's been around forever. Okay, at least a very long time. And it has been adapted over many generations. Now, Mike has created a more progressive version and has called it Millennial Loteria. We also talk about the stereotypes that millennial Latinos are fighting, along with the lesser known, not yet appropriated, cultural traditions that we both love, just like Loteria, that are celebrated in the Hispanic community. But first, indulge me while I share some crucial facts about the Hispanic, Latino, Latinx community. Number one, we don't all come from Spanish-speaking countries. Therefore, we're not all Hispanic. So... This one's tricky because Hispanic Heritage Month actually celebrates people with roots from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and South America. This includes countries like Brazil, where the primary language is actually Portuguese. So it's a little confusing because Brazilians are not technically Hispanic, but they are celebrated during Hispanic Heritage Month. Anyway, don't worry about that. In review, Hispanic Heritage Month celebrates all Latinos not just people from Spanish-speaking countries. Number two, the term Latinx is very millennial. Some people have issues with it because they say it's almost like Spanglish, to which I say, Ike, so what? Really, I like using this term because it's not gender-specific. It doesn't end in an O or an A, and everyone wins. Yay! Number three, there are 33 countries in Latin America. Don't worry, I will name all of them for you at the end of the episode. Number four, Hispanic is not a race. It doesn't matter how many legal forms try to convince you of this or marriage license clerics in Kentucky. These 33 Latin American countries are very ethnically diverse. We come in various skin tones, shapes, and sizes. All right, class is now in session. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us on Diferente. No, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm super excited to have you too. This is such a great topic, especially since we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. And that is such a hard word for me to pronounce. Heritage. Hispanic Heritage. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get started with a little bit about you first. I want to know where did you grow up and what brought you to where you are today? Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised in Guatemala. I was there until I was 18 years old. I graduated high school there. I went to a bilingual school, so they taught you English and Spanish. My parents really, really wanted me to speak English because they said that that would open a lot of doors for me, and they were right. <laughs> 
So uh, I, I applied to go to study advertising at Chapman University in Orange County, California. And they accepted me and my parents worked really, really hard to be able to pay my tuition to come study uh, in the U.S. So I've always been grateful for them for that. And yeah, I, I came to Orange County and I graduated in 2010. What did you think about Orange County when you first arrived? Oh my God, it was so white, <laughs> especially specifically <laughs> where I wasn't in like Santa Ana. I was in like Orange, Orange County. I lived in Santa Ana for a little bit and that's a lot more diverse, especially with the Hispanic population. But, you know, my school, Chapman was predominantly white. I was one of the very few international students there, very few Latinos, actually. So it was kind of a, it wasn't a culture shock for me specifically. Like I didn't, cause you know, I grew up in, in Guatemala, you know, with TV and, and watching the hills or Laguna Beach. I was going to say watching MTV probably. <laughs> exactly. So like I knew everything about nothing was a culture shock. I think it was more, I was more shocked at the reaction people had at me. Yeah, the stereotypes. Exactly. When I sort of broke some sort of stereotypes that they sort of had in their mind about Latinos and, and all that kind of stuff, it sort of, it was a little shocking to me. What was like the worst stereotype that you were told that people assumed about you, I guess? Well, one of them was, <laughs> I remember when I, when I first moved into the dorms, there was like about two days where nobody could get internet on their computers. Um, there was some like some mix up. And so nobody had access to internet and everybody was freaking out because obviously we're, you know, going into college and we wanted to be online. I accept all those Facebook friend requests because it was right around the time when Facebook was like just taken off. And finally, one day I got on the internet, it like came up. And so I like was so excited and I ran out of my room in the dorms and I ran into a group of friends that were that I, or like acquaintances that I had just met that week. And I go like, guys, guys, I just got on the internet. And this girl sort of like looks at me and leans in and is like, oh, for the first time? <laughs> I was like, no, not for the first time. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Just right now. And it was sort of these things where you start like, people would ask me like if in Guatemala, like we lived in trees. And it was just, you know, certain stuff that was just like, you should know this by now, you know, like, and I just realized that they yeah. perceived their idea of Guatemalans or in any ways, Latinos in general. Because like when I would tell them like from Guatemala, they'd be like, where is that? And I'd be like, oh, it's Central America. And then they'd be like, oh, so like around Texas? Like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I know a little bit of that because I myself, I'm an immigrant. and But I came here when I was 12 and a half. And I mm. remember telling people that I've never been to the border. To this day, I've actually never been to the Mexico-US border. And mm -hmm. people would look at me like, but then how did you get here? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> I flew on an airplane <laughs> over the border. And it was just uh, like this shock. Like, but, but, but then you didn't walk across the border? Like, how would you get here? Yeah, there's a lot of that. It was weird. But I, I mean, I, I guess also I want to, you know, make sure that like, there's a lot of great people like that I met in college that were really open and understanding people who knew a lot. I learned a lot about all oh, the different cultures as well. I came in, you know, you come in, I wasn't, you know, as well versed as I am now in sort of different other cultures or people, you know, because Guatemala in ways is also very isolated, you know, or like being a lot more open minded about things. So I definitely learned a lot in college that opened my mind up. And I think I also helped other people who had never had, you know, known someone from Guatemala to learn more about the country and about our culture, about our traditions and in general about that there's also different countries in Latin America, you know, like there's different. Yeah things going on. So I think it was, we all go through those stages where we're still learning. Uh, I don't think anybody's perfect, but I think we all could, you know, you learn through just talking and meeting people of different backgrounds and learning their stories. 
which is what we do here at Diferente. So thank you so much for being a part of that. <laughs> so let me take you back a little bit. What was your dream job as a kid? Oh my God, I was so weird. I wanted to be in, av- in advertising. I don't know why. Oh, from the get-go? <laughs> from the get-go when I was, well, I wanted to be, I wanted to do stuff on TV. I definitely wanted to work in television. I love television. I loved watching, especially like the like cartoons and TV shows like Friends and you learn a lot from there. I learned a lot of English too from television, uh, from watching like, you know, staying up really late to watch Conan O'Brien or, uh, you know, <laughs> David Letterman uh, and trying to like find like, what's the timing in English and, you know, like for jokes and delivery. And uh, Um, so I really wanted to work in television and I really liked commercials because they were quick. They're easy to do. You could grab a little camera and you can make a 30 second commercial. And so anytime in school when there was a project like, oh, you know, do a book review or something and they let you, you know, do something visual, I would do like, oh, let me make an ad for the book that Mm -hmm. I just read and talk about what it is. And I found that that came really easy to me, like selling stuff and marketing stuff was something that I, from a, from very early on, I found I had like a, a skill to do. And my parents like realized that and they liked it because, you know, advertising is half art and half business. And they definitely wouldn't, wouldn't let me do anything that was just art. <laughs> so uh, they kind of the like The practicality side. <laughs> exactly, the practicality side. So that was my way of sort of leave entering that way of like, no, mom, it's like, it's a business, you know, it's like, I still advertise. But in another way, it's like a lot of creativity. I love working in advertising as, as my day job. I was going to ask you to share a little bit about your career as a creative director and writer. What is the most fun project that you've worked on so far? Oh my gosh. I do a lot of good work with big car company um, in Southern California. But I, one of the biggest sort of projects that I liked was we launched the Doritos Locos Tacos. That was my first job out of college. I got hired as an intern at this advertising agency that worked on Taco Bell. And Taco Bell at the time was going through like a big, you know, they were having a little bit of a sales problems and we needed to change mm-hmm. the campaign. I worked on sort of the rebranding for the for Taco Bell with Liv Moss, which obviously took it from originally Think Outside the Bun, which you had for a while, 10 years at that point. So now the Liv mm-hmm. Moss, that was a little bit more millennial focused, a little more youth oriented. And obviously a little bit more sort of bilingual, multicultural aspect. And so that was really cool. And then launching the Doritos Locos Tacos, I was, you know, I did a lot of commercials for Latin American market, as well as a lot of the digital activations that we had. Uh, and that was great because it was, it was everywhere at the time. Like it was a really big hit, this sort of like crossover of Doritos and, you know, this godly like sort of thing, you know, that's just <laughs> super weird. But at the same time, it made people sort of pay attention and be like, I want to try that weirdness. <laughs> It looks weird, but it's probably delicious. It was good. You can't have too many, <laughs> but it's like for a guilty cheat, you know, a late yeah. night. Yeah, that's the. That, it's definitely a late night t- type of thing. I, I can't ever tell you that I've ever had it not during late night. <laughs> yeah. And may or may not be intoxicated, but that's, yeah. <laughs> tell me a little bit about these Olivia Munn videos that I came across on your Instagram, actually. What is this? Yes. So when I was uh, in college, I had this big crush on Olivia Munn and I decided I was going to start a little web series that was going to be like, okay, I want to meet Olivia Munn. And like, (laughs) I'm going to go on a quest to meet her. You know, I'm like a young, unique, cute Guatemalan boy on a quest to meet, you know, Olivia Munn. And I never really thought that it would happen. And in fact, I never really tried to meet her. The the idea behind her was I I said, um, celebrities or famous people, they only hang out with other famous people. That was sort of my train of thought. You know, you never see like 
you always see celebrities hanging out with other celebrities. So I thought, if I want to meet Olivia Munn and be her friend, then I need to be a celebrity. And so it was all uh. this little quest of me trying to get like, you know, to become someone in order to meet her. And somewhere along the line, the, the video started blowing up with our fan base. And I actually, some producer saw it who um, was in charge of our college late night. We have a talk show at Chapman. Uh, it was a late night student talk show. And mm-hmm. they were looking for hosts and they saw the stuff that I had done online. And they were like, oh, you should come host this. You should come audition. And I went and they decided to give me the hosting job of the of the, our late night talk show. And in one of the episodes, the producers decided to bring down Olivia Munn to surprise me and actually meet me on the show. <laughs> and she saw the videos I had done before and she thought they were super funny. And yeah, she came down and surprised me and I was like in total shock. <laughs> and since then, she was really cool. And so we sort of like started talking about what I wanted to do in life and, you know, what I wanted to go into TV production and do advertising and all that stuff. And she was really cool. And, you know, she kept in touch and we filmed a couple of videos together for the series where it's obviously all like, we're like at that point, it's sort of like all improv uh, style uh, that mm-hmm. we did. But yeah, it was, uh, that's how it came about. And she's super nice, super sweet. And just really like was great to a fan like that I, I was at that point. Uh, and that's always sort of stuck with me. What made you want to continue your career in the States? Why not maybe go back to Guatemala? Because a lot of the work that I was doing here in the United States was the work that was getting shipped back to Guatemala to air, uh, mm. actually. So a lot of the work that aired over back home was being shot here in the U.S. And I wanted to be a part of that. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought-inspiring content with them. Like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show. You can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. So let's shift a little bit. You created this hilarious new version of the traditional game Loteria, which is a game we play in Mexico and other Latin American countries. What inspired you to create Millennial Loteria? When Trump won the presidency, obviously I was upset about it. Being an immigrant myself, um, I saw how he talked the rhetoric and I sort of wanted to do something with art not contradicted, but like fought sort of the negative stereotypes that he was putting out there about Latinos and specifically immigrants. And one of the ways that I wanted to do it was that I wanted to show that we are very modern and we're still, we're like very contributing to society in a way that a lot of people don't think about us. You know, I, people talk about Latino immigrants. I've seen people on TV that are like well-meaning, but then, then they start going off like, you know, but who's going to pick our food? Who's going to clean our houses? Because that's the only thing they do. (laughs) Exactly. Why not say who's going to like do brain surgery on me? That's not sort of what they think. So I want to do something that showed us in a light of that's a little bit more current to like how my friends are or how I see people, my family. And so one of the things that I wanted to do was combine these two elements of being millennial and being a Latino immigrant. Because when you think about the stereotypes that Latinos have been fighting, you know, for years and the stereotypes that millennials have, like when let me ask you, like, what are some stereotypes of millennial people that you've heard that you hear people say about us? 
oh, I could go on. That we don't know how to work hard, that we are impatient, that we want everything handed out to us. Exactly. That we're lazy, entitled, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're dumb. People don't think we're smart. And, you know, when you think now, what are some stereotypes that you hear people say about Latinos? In the U.S., that most of us are illegal immigrants, that... Lazy, that we don't know how to uneducated. work. Uneducated. You know, like... Yeah. Yeah, uneducated. And so you realize that the same stereotypes that Latinos have been fighting for years are the same stereotypes that millennials are getting labeled with now. You realize that if you're a Latino millennial, and a Latino millennial immigrant, you're fighting all these stereotypes. You're not just fighting one of them, you know? That's where the intersectionality comes. And if you think about millennials, we're the most diverse generation. So when people think of, I start stereotyping millennials and they think of a millennial, people seem to picture a, you know, white Brooklynite person, you know, like hipster. But in reality, we, the average age of a Latino person living in the United States of an adult is 28. That's right smack in the middle of millennial. And so Mm -hmm. people need to start thinking that millennials are so diverse and we're all, I mean, when you talk about generation Z, the generation that comes forward, that's just, it's the majority of the people in it are non-white. And so I think trying to tackle these two aspects together allowed me to create something that had nostalgia, basically taking Loteria and looking at it from a point of view that was, it's outdated. When you look at Loteria and you look at sort of the concepts in it, whether it's La Dama or El Valiente or even the items on it, it's obviously old, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not current. And so I wanted to find a way to take those images and contrast them in a funny way and humorous way with millennial issues that we deal with so that they automatically became relevant to the conversation, that they updated this old, outdated sort of stereotype of, of what Latinos are, or sort of this Latino game, and bring in some millennial flavor to it that would allow people to relate to it once more. I love it. I have to tell you that when I came across the account on Instagram, I was dying. It was just so <laughs> funny the, and so original. I love La Selfie, La NRA, like all of these <laughs> liver, different twists that you've applied to it. And it's, it makes you think. They're actually thought-provoking and they make you have conversations with other people about what this means. I, I showed it to my parents. They were laughing hysterically. And they're, you know, my dad's in his 70s, my mom's in her 60s. So, but they get it. They still get it because they understand the changes in culture. It's funny because yeah, there's a lot of ways to interpret the cards depending on where, you're, you know, the point of view that you're coming out from it because... Mm-hmm. One of the things that I wanted to do is not only break Hispanic stereotypes, but I wanted to poke a little fun at millennial stereotypes and, you know, at other stereotypes that don't have to do with us. And so when if you're an older person and you see La Selfie, you sort of recognize it because even if it's not something that you sort of relate to, you see other people and you make fun of them or like el gluten, you know, that it's like the, la calavera is not gluten because everybody's like, oh, no gluten, gluten-free everything, you know? And so I wanted to make those, you know, have fun with that, poke a little fun at ourselves as well as, you know, break some of your stereotypes. And there's a lot of ways. I wanted it to be, you know, a conversation starter for sure. And that's what I think the Millennial Loteria game as a whole is when you play it. There's a lot of different things that maybe you're, it's a conversation starter not only for your friends, but like if you play it with your parents, Maybe they don't know what gender fluid is. And mm-hmm. it's a conversation that you can talk to them about, or they don't really know much about global warming. It's a conversation starting not only for different generations playing, but it can also be just played with, you know, your gringo friends and you teach them a little bit more about Loteria while they, and they can actually understand the cards. Yeah. And some of them really make you think, I mean, the other day I came across the thigh gap. One of the cards you created is the, is a skeleton. La muerte. Yeah, it used to be La Muerte, but you called it the, th- the thigh gap. And the thigh gap is, I guess, this 
thing now that girls, is it just girls that do it? Like they're super, super, super skinny. Yeah, it became a trend a couple of years back now of, you know, wanting to achieve this sort of thigh gap. And it became a, a thing, you know, like a beauty aspirational type of thing to try to achieve. And mm-hmm. it creates a lot of negative health consequences and like image perceptions about what it means to be sort of healthy. And it also takes an approach into glamorizing being being super skinny because I don't think there's any problem with being skinny as long as you're healthy, you know, just as, as long, I don't think there's a problem with being having a little bit more weight if you were still healthy. But I think when I contrasted it with the issue of like la muerte or la thigh gap was because yeah. you obviously know it's wrong, you know, and it's something you don't want to aspire to, but it also gives it to you in a way that's makes you think that's a little bit humorous where you're like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I am. But how do I feel about this? And it, it forces you sort of to confront sort of issues and to sort of uh, talk about them and, and, you know, have discussions about it. And that's why I like this specific sort of art medium of these Loteria cards, because they force you to, to confront stuff about our generation, but it's not preachy because millennials don't like to be talked down to. They don't like to be preached to. We don't like to be told what to do. So if you are sort of allowed to have a reaction, you know, and a lot of the, you know, some of our cards are a little more controversial than others. Mm-hmm. And that's still fine because that creates conversation, that creates dialogue. That's sort of what the internet is running on right now, you know, just outrage and fuel. And, and I think I wanted to reflect that part of millennial culture as well in Loteria, because even when you look back at the old Loteria, it's still very politically incorrect, some of the things that were on the actual Loteria. What are some of those examples? Oh, well, they have primero La Dama, you know, that that's like really like the female character that you have is just like, she's it's carrying prissy her woman. flowers and prissy yeah. woman, you know, and like in our version, she's become La Feminist and she's joining a protest and she, uh, you know, her hair is down. She's a little bit more or less, less dressed up. And, you know, that was sort of one of that I wanted to, to do. Also, um, another one was like El Negrito mm. that we had before that was yep. just like the black guy, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> like what, you know, and he was dressed in a way. So we sort of, it took it an approach where, we went into the, in this version, it's called El Gentrification. And it's now like sort of like this white guy that has displaced, you know, him from the card. And that, you know, that obviously deals with gentrification and the displacement of people of color. That was sort of the twist that we gave it. Yeah. And it's sort of stuff like that, that might seem a little outdated. Then in our version, you know, we still try to keep some controversial topics and some controversial thought starters. But we try not to be too, we always try to be respectful of people and, and, you know, the diversity within our culture. Another thing, too, is like most of the characters in in the original Loteria are white. Um, They're all sort of modeled after Spanish sort of, I guess, what people would think the ideal of beauty at that time. Um, And a lot of it was still aspiring for a lot of white characters. There's not a lot of diversity. And even if you look at, you know, La Chalupa, this is very white in the cards. And so for this next edition that we're doing right now, one of the biggest things I wanted to do was make sure that, you know, our sirena is a person of color, that we have a little bit more diversity in how we're represented. So that was another change that we did, that we added a little bit more diversity into the deck of cards and characters. Yeah. And you are not doing this alone, right? You have an art director. Yes. I started working on it by myself about, it was a year ago. So I started working on it about a year ago. And then about six months ago, um, I realized that it was going to take a lot more work for me to be able to complete everything in time. And so uh, my friend Gerardo, who had been a fan of who had worked with before Gerardo Guillen, he's an art director and also in advertising and he works with me. He's a big fan of the, the account and exactly knew what I was talking about. And so uh, we decided to team up uh, to tackle the project together, the actual release of the game. 
And so uh, he's been working with me on the cards and the design of the, the actual game boards and the design of the box that it's going to come in. Uh, and he's got a lot of packaging uh, retail experience. So it, he's been a great, tremendous help. And is it available in stores or where do people buy the new Millennial Loteria? We released a special limited edition about six months ago of Millennial Loteria uh, and it sold out within a week. And wow. that was like a big wake up call for us. We're like, okay, there's a big demand for this game because, you know, it just, it's literally sold out in like less than five days. And so we knew that if we wanted to get, you know, enough people to want it and to get it in stores, we were going to have to really scale up our operations. Um, that's something that at the time I can't do just because it's a massive undertaking just for me. So I brought in Gerardo, but even then that's too small. I'm glad that this uh, publishing company called Blue Star Press, they have a creative director within their their publishing house that is uh, Latino. And he was a big fan as well, reached out to me. And we decided that we were going to partner up with them and they were going to be our official publisher. They're going to be releasing the game on their imprint. Uh, you can go to Millennial Loteria, my Instagram or millennialloteria.com and uh, see if the pre-order link is available and you'll be able to pre-order your this new Millennial Loteria set. And it'll be available everywhere on December 4th. It's exciting. What's the overall input that you've received so far from this new game that you created? Well, you know, a lot of millennial people really like it because it's really relatable and you can find a card, no matter, you know, of the 42 cards that we, well, 46 cards that we have in this new deck, there's one that you can find, you can relate to, whether it is, you know, El Pride for, you know, people who are a part of the LGBT community. Or if you have something like, you know, La Selfie, or people take a lot of selfies, or there's some music aspects to podcasts, you know, it's, there's a lot of different things that, that, that you can relate to. Um, and they, people really resonate with that. So I have gotten some hate from a specifically older generation of Latinos who are like, oh, millennials ruin everything. Like we are ruining the original Loteria. I love that you're putting them on blast on your Instagram account and you're like responding to them like, oh, I guess we should all just stay La Dama forever then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, I think one of those things that I know about the market is like if you're making the older generation mad, then I think you're going to do something that is breaking the mold of the old and young people are a lot more accepting of that. Sometimes they hate on this, but as long as the younger crowd is happy, I'm happy because it means I'm doing something that connects with them. And that's what I'm doing it for. Nobody's really speaking to the millennial Hispanic American audience. And I wanted to create something for them, that for our little community. Do you find that also non-Spanish speakers or non-Latinx people are enjoying the game or are you introducing new people to the game? Yeah, there's a lot of people who have never heard of Loteria that now sort of like research a little more about it and sort of can relate a little bit more. Also, the fact that this is done in Spanglish, so the Loteria is in Spanglish, you know, we try to sort of reflect globalization as well and how many of the Hispanic Americans here in the U.S. speak either languages or some of them are more proficient in English than they are in Spanish. I don't think that makes anyone less Latino. I just think it just sort of changes a little bit of your um, cultural identity to be more bicultural. And so I wanted to also include people who might feel excluded because I've talked to a lot of people who are Latino, you know, here in the U.S. that are maybe like second generation, if not just first generation, um, who sometimes feel a little bit disconnected from their heritage and maybe they don't feel as included in the community. Uh, and I don't think I'm changing too much Loteria. I like that the images, they're different enough where it's different, but it's there's still the tradition of what La Sirena is there. You know, La Sirena is, is still a mermaid taking the selfie. And I love it. That's my favorite one. <laughs> I want to frame yeah. it. 
Uh, so let's talk about some Latinx traditions that have not yet been made into Disney movies or culturally appropriated in the U.S. I have a few, and I want to get your take on them too, because you're originally from Guatemala. So I don't know, you know, if you mm -hmm. guys participate in some of these traditions, but one of them is Las mm -hmm. Posadas, which we have during mm -hmm. the Christmas time. We have these 12 days of street parties and celebration. We go singing from one house to another house, which symbolizes the pilgrimage that Joseph and Mary did right before Jesus was born. And this pilgrimage is symbolized by going from one neighbor's house to another neighbor's house. And then they have this giant party where we break a piñata. It's full of candy and sugar cane and oranges and all kinds of things. We drink ponche. What do you guys do during your posadas in Guatemala? Yeah, so a lot of the time is, yes, going from house to house and bringing the, the images of the Virgin Mary from house to house. That's representing that pilgrimage. We also drink a lot of ponche. I never had the piñatas. I think that's a more Mexican tradition. I mean, we, have, we always have piñatas on our birthday, but I never had it. I, I guess my mom was a very strict Catholic lady, just like my dad. So I think they always try to make everything very, very like Catholic and very, very like subdued, not too party-esque. But I think posadas are one of the moments where you can like go out there and like a little more, like have a little more fun and drink el ponche. That is a tradition, I think. I think a lot of Catholic traditions really do spread across all of Latin America. And it's just sort of like what little twist and spin uh, we put it. Like, for instance, like you got in Guatemala, our tamales for tamales for Christmas are different than the tamales that would be in Mexico. Our tamales have, are made of sort of this rice base and they have a red pepper sauce on them inside and they have pork and they're wrapped in a banana leaf. For ours, so ours is very, uh, our tamales are very different and tamales are different from every, you know, a lot of places in, in Latin America as well. And so I think in the U.S., people just kind of put us all under the, Latinos. Which they associate with Mexican. Mm -hmm, exactly, with a lot of Mexican traditions. Even when I say like, you know, when I was with Guatemala, I had friends who thought, you know, I was from Mexico for like two years, even <laughs> after I told them I was from Guatemala, because they thought Guatemala was inside of Mexico, that it was a town in Mexico. I was like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, they thought it was like Guadalajara or something. And I'm like, yeah. okay, but. It kind of sounds like that to some people, probably. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, oh my goodness. You know, I can't fault too many people because like, I'm also not that great at geography. So like, if you were trying to tell me like what different countries are in the Middle East and I could identify in the map and tell you their cultures and the differences between them, I would probably be like, I don't know. So I, I think that there's a lot of different traditions that vary from places, but in the US with Latino, they sort of try to put us all together. I think there's enough time mm. now and, and it's the right time to sort of start telling people We are united as a Latino culture, obviously. You know, I think in the U.S., we have to be. We can't all be separated. You know, we have to find a way to sort of come together. A lot of Latinos, if you really want to make a change in this country to sort of accept people from us, because again, just because I'm Guatemalan and somebody else is Mexican doesn't mean that racists aren't going to treat us the same. Doesn't mean like they're going to be like, oh, you're Mexican. Oh, you're Guatemalan. Yeah, I know the difference. They don't, you know, they just treat all Latinos sort of in some way with these broad strokes. In the same box. Yeah, I knew people that were a little bit like, you know, when Trump was up there, like for his first speech saying like, Mexicans are rapists and Mexicans are drug dealers, they're bringing crime, they're bringing everything. I knew some people who were like, well, he's not talking about Guatemalans, he's just talking about Mexicans, you know, or Latinos or other <laughs> people or like Costa Ricans, you know, and I was like, you really think he knows the difference? You really think he's not, <laughs> that he knows that stuff? No, he's just saying Latinos in general. He's 
demonizing a lot of people. And even now, when you look at a lot of the problems that are going on on the border, um, a lot of families separated, a majority of them are from Central America and Guatemala. And he's not saying like, oh, these are the Mexicans. He's discriminating against everyone equally, against all Latinos. Yeah. So we just, this is the moment that we sort of like have to all come together and appreciate the diversity within Latino culture as well. And there's also a lot of discrimination that goes on within our own communities. So, but that's a topic for another day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the holiday traditions. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. Another one that I love is El Dia de los Reyes. I don't know if you guys have that tradition in Guatemala. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do have El Dia de los Reyes con la la rosca and then find a little uh, little baby Jesus inside. The little baby Jesus Mm -hmm. inside? Yeah, we do have that (laughs) one. Okay. So Dia de los Reyes is the best because it's on January 6th. And I'm explaining this to people who don't understand this uh, tradition, Mm -hmm. but it's on January 6th. And that's the day that in Catholic tradition is considered the day that the three kings arrived to see Jesus, to visit him in the manger. So it's a big deal. And in fact, in Mexico, my dad grew up with that being the day that they got presents. They didn't get presents on actual Christmas Day. They got presents on Dia de los Reyes because, mm-hmm. duh, the three kings brought presents exactly to Jesus. Therefore, you got presents. I don't know how we ended up doing that. but So it's a great holiday. I love that we eat this delicious round. What would you describe it as in English, the, the rosca? It's kind of like a food cake, kind of. But like a circular okay. kind of fruitcake. But it's, like yeah, of, yeah, it's shaped like, um, what's that thing you hang on the front door? A wreath. Yes, it's shaped like that. <laughs> and then we put these little doll, little tiny plastic dolls inside of it. You hide them in there while you're, before you bake it. And then whoever bites into one is supposed to have a big party for everyone in February. Do you guys do that too in Guatemala? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes I think it's like, if they can't do the party, it's like, well, you get to bring the rosca next year. <laughs> it's your job to get the, yeah. to get the rosca. You know, I, I've experienced that most of the time the party never happens. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's a better alternative. Just look, just bring the rosca next year. Yeah, exactly. It's on you. You don't have to have a party. <laughs> <laughs> I do have another one that I know about that I don't know if you have in Mexico. Do you guys do La Quema del Diablo? No. The burning of the devil. Oh my God. But it sounds fantastic. It's on. Oh my God. It's horrible for the environment. First of all, it's horrible for the environment, but it was fun as hell when you're a kid. You would take sort of like stuff that you didn't want in your house that was like the negative and represent the old, you know, stuff and the evilness. So like you would take Mm -hmm. out, you know, trash or leaves or like, I would be like my notebooks from the year before from, from high school that I don't want anymore that I'm like, I hated that class. (laughs) And you would sort of like make a little bonfire and you would like burn them. And there would be also these little like devil pinatas kind of thing going on. They look like devil that you would burn to signify like be like scare the devil away and like not have him for the year. And that's something that I think is I don't know any other country that does it. But I remember specifically in Guatemala. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's de- super intense. Like <laughs> the, devil, the burning of a devil. And it's like literally like outside, like all your like, you know, and you're playing with fireworks too. You know, you're like doing little fireworks uh-huh. as well and it's like people in my uh, my neighborhood like everyone was out just burning stuff in the street it was probably really scary for a lot of people who have never sort of seen that also they come to go on like everybody's just burning devils outside <laughs> wow that sounds fascinating i'm gonna have to look that up later yeah it's december 7th i want to talk a little bit about why hispanic heritage month is celebrated when it is celebrated and what i know and correct me if i'm wrong is that the reason why Hispanic Heritage Month in the U.S. is celebrated beginning September 15th is because 
it coincides with the Independence Day celebrations for a lot of Central America, uh, including Mexico, because Mexico's is the 16th. And then it goes until October 15th. So I guess a lot of countries have their Independence Day celebrations during that time. And that's why we have this like half month to half month celebration honoring the heritage in the U.S. Have you ever experienced anything special, like super special during Hispanic Heritage Month? Or do you do anything unique? I always like schooling people on why we have Hispanic Heritage Month and why there's no White History Month. I think that's the main thing I always get from people like, why is there no White History Month? Because every month is White History Month. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, this is stupid too, when people say that there's no White History Month, where I'm like, are you kidding me? There's like, there's Italian History Month. There's Mm -hmm. also German History Month. Polish History Month, there are these celebrations that do celebrate, I guess, quote unquote, white culture, you know, Anglo Mm -hmm. sort of culture, but people aren't thinking, aren't celebrating. I'm like, yeah, there are, you know, there are months that celebrate white culture. There's Mm -hmm. Oktoberfest. If you're like, you know, if you're German, celebrate. I've gone to Oktoberfest. It's amazing. You know, like I want to go if there's an Italian, you know, celebration for Italian Heritage Month. I've gone to games, you know, like I've gone to like stadiums and they've been like, oh, we're celebrating Italian Heritage Month and it's so much fun. I think people just sort of classify white as an ethnicity or a race and it just always like irks me in a little bit where I'm like... Yeah, that's like one of the most clear forms of entitlement. When people say stuff like that, they don't get it. Like they don't get it. It's like saying, well why do only black lives matter? Why not all lives matter? It's like, you're missing the point. Exactly. Like, that's not what this is about. This isn't your, this isn't your slogan. This isn't about you. And I think that people miss it because like you said, we do have Italian festival, we have German traditions that people celebrate, but they're not separated specifically as a general community, like Hispanic is. Hispanic is very general. I mean, we were all lumped into one, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's separated and that's why people think that it's something different than celebrating, like you said, Italian heritage or Irish heritage, which we do celebrate. People celebrate it all the time. So it's just that they get to celebrate it by country. We get to only celebrate it by a group of ethnicity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All lumped together. We don't get to celebrate. Yeah, all lumped together. We don't get our own months, even though there are people from all kinds of countries in the Latin American community here. So so I have two more questions to wrap this up. What is your passion and how do you define success? My passion is breaking stereotypes through art. I think that's sort of what I realize now is what I like to do. I like to confront stereotypes that are put on me and break those, whether it's through advertising or whether it's just through like stuff I do, I write. I also am a screenwriter and I write a couple of stuff. I've been writing a lot about our what our community is going through. That's sort of what's been my, my biggest passion. And it's what made Millennial Teria, I think, a success right now is because it's people are connecting to it and people can are relating to it and find that there's a community that's larger than they might have thought previously thought, you know, or there's people who sort of view uh, themselves in the same way as, as they do, as modern Latinos. And I think success for me has always been being, and I know this is going to sound weird too, but success for me has always been being able to create art and being able to create something and not be worried about what I'm going to eat. Um, that is successful. It's not about just particularly having a lot of money or a lot of wealth, but about to be able to live decently and a normal sort of life while also being able to express your creativity and having the time to do that. That's really important to me, having downtime to work on art. 
If you want to pre-order Millennial Loteria, please visit our website, diferentepodcast.com, and click on episode 117. You'll find the link in our show notes. And make sure you follow and support Mike on Instagram at Millennial Loteria. Okay, here are the 33 countries I promised to name at the end of the show. I'm going to name these in order of population. Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, Peru, Venezuela, Chile, Guatemala, Ecuador, Cuba, Bolivia, Haiti, Dominican Republic, Honduras, Paraguay, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panamá, Uruguay, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, Guyana, Suriname, Bahamas, Belize, Barbados, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and Grenadines, Grenada, Antigua and Barbuda, Dominica, St. Kitts and Nevis. And there are also 15 territories or dependencies. These 15 are Puerto Rico, Guadalupe, Martinique, French Guiana, Curacao, Aruba, U.S. Virgin Islands, Cayman Islands, St. Martin, Turks and Caicos, British Virgin Islands, Caribbean Netherlands, Anguilla, Montserrat, Falkland Islands. <sighs> I hope you all learned something new today. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at A Diferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.